Hello. We hope that you're doing well. We're glad that you've joined us as we try to investigate the scriptures and see how we can apply them to our lives so we can live in ways that please and honor God. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And today we'd like to talk about husbands and wives and have this discussion not based upon worldly wisdom, not based upon self-help books, not based upon what doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists and, and people of that sort say, but based upon what God has revealed in the scriptures. And particularly we're going to focus on the text that Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Now, before we get to Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, it's important to kind of understand what's going on here. Paul is writing the letter to the Ephesians. It's being written while he is in prison. It's being written probably somewhere around the year uh, 59, 60, in that area, 57 to 60 ish in general. Uh, he's writing to encourage Christians in, in Ephesus and perhaps in other places as well uh, about the nature of the church and the kind of life they should be living. And we get a really important hint about what's going on in this section of that letter in chapter 5 and the first two verses where Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul is giving general counsel for godly living, how we can imitate God, how we can walk in love. And he spends verse 3 through 14 talking a lot about various types of sins and how to avoid them. And he begins saying in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's our direct context there. And so Paul's saying, don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And, and, and that we're supposed to redeem the time, uh, to make the best use of the time, because the days are evil, and that we are to look how we walk as wise, not unwise. And how do we do that? Well, he gives us these ways we can do that. He begins by saying, don't get drunk with wine, but fill the Spirit, in verse 17. In verse, eight, in verse 18, excuse me, in verse 19, uh, to sing one another in psalms to him, spiritual songs, uh, making melody to the Lord your heart. Then always giving thanks, which is about prayer. And then we have verse 21, the need to submit to one another in Christ. And Ephesians 5.21 becomes a very contentious verse, unfortunately, because a lot of people try to use this verse to kind of change what Paul is about to say. And we, we need to be careful about that. We need to recognize that, yes, there is relevance in some sense of verse 21 to what's going to be discussed later. It does preface this discussion of marriage. Uh, but this verse does not mitigate what comes afterward. The marriage relationship is not directly in view in verse 21. Instead, the idea is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to submit to one another? It, well, it means to serve one another. Uh, Jesus himself said he came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, just because he came to serve does not mean that he cannot be our Lord. And therefore, we need to be careful how we handle this verse. Uh, in John 13, Jesus shows us the example of serving his 
his, his disciples. Philippians chapter 2 and the first four verses are great about this, talking about how we are to give consideration to the needs of others more than ourselves. If there's any consolation in Christ, any, any sympathy in the, everything in the Spirit, to, to do these things. Um, in Romans 15, 1-3, the same idea that we who are strong ought to bear the failings of those who are weak, that Christ did not... Uh, uh, the reproaches of those who, the reproaches that fell upon you fell upon me. Uh, that idea there in Romans 15 that uh, Christ uh, suffered on our behalf. And we are to therefore suffer on the behalf of others. And so these passages all show that we need to consider the needs of others above ourselves. And that's how we submit to one another. Not that we are under authority one another, but to help and serve one another. But it is clear. I mean, after this he starts talking about wives and husbands. And so, um, Actually, and not even just husbands and wives, but also children and parents in chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 4, and then slaves and masters in 5 through 9. And so, there's absolutely a sense in which submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ uh, is woven into the discussion of husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. That doesn't change what Paul says. It does provide some color to it, and it doesn't mean that we should try to use verse 21 to contradict verse 22. Uh, they're not in contradiction. They're complementing each other. And so, it's important for us to realize that the marriage relationship is about two people working for a common goal of putting first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so, if a man does not help or serve his wife at times, he's foolish and he's not acting according to the way God would have him to act. And there's a, there certainly is this idea of, of submitting to one another on the reverence for Christ in the marriage relationship. And so the, the context shows us these things that Paul's talking about. He wants us to be imitators of God, to walk in love, to look carefully how we walk, to uh, make the best use of our time, to not be foolish, to understand the will of the Lord, and to submit to one another. And that will inform how we understand not just husbands and wives here in Ephesians 5, but also uh, at other times children and parents in chapter 6, and also slaves and masters in chapter 6. So we begin in verse 22 with our conversation about husbands and wives, and Paul begins with wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, Paul in Ephesians 5, 22-33, is making uh, an illustration. He's putting and setting sides next to each other. Uh, that Christ in the church and the husband and wife. Where the husband and wife relationship illustrates Christ in the church, and Christ in the church illustrates husband and wife. They're kind of mutually reinforcing illustrations. And so we can start with this very controversial one, um, which is also said in as many words in Colossians 3.18, Titus 2.5, 1 Peter 3.1, about these matters. Uh, we can look at the least controversial aspect, the fact that Christ is Lord of the church, and the church is submit to Christ. Uh, we understand that, in terms of hierarchy and power, that's fine, because we know that he has been declared Lord. And he's declared Lord not as some kind of despotic tyrant, but as uh, the benevolent dictator of sorts. That we understand with Christ that he is all-loving, all-merciful, all-compassionate, and, and that he will judge in, in, in holiness and in mercy, that he has died for us, that 
that we understand why it's okay for Christ to be Lord and for the church to submit to Christ. The problem is when we now apply this to the marriage relationship. And the problem is because the idea that a wife should submit to her husband is deemed patriarchal, outmoded, a previous culture, not consistent with our beliefs and values at this time. And they, they conjured up a picture of this overbearing, uh, perhaps abusive husband, and some poor little woman who is powerless against him, who's being oppressed and uh, is not able to reach her full potential. Now, the difficulty we have here is that the caricature of what people think is being said here has nothing to do with what is being said here. Uh, we're going to see the responsibility the husband has, that he has a great burden to care for his wife as his own flesh, and to love her as Christ loved the church. And when you understand what submission is here, what it means for a wife to be subject to her husband, it does not mean that a woman can have opinions. It does not mean a woman is somehow inferior to a man. What it means is that the final decision must rest with the husband because also he is the one who will bear the responsibility and be called to account for those decisions. In Galatians 3.28, there is neither man nor woman in Christ Jesus. So the soul of a woman is just as valuable as that of a man. But they do have different roles. And as different roles, we need to respect those roles. Submission is not an easy thing to do, especially because husbands aren't Jesus. And even though husbands are commanded to be like Jesus, they don't do a great job in fulfilling that. But notice here that there's no caveat here that wives are only supposed to submit to their husbands in the things they agree with. Wives are only submit to their husbands when it's easy, etc., etc. Uh, we also need to make it very clear, though, by the way, that the text doesn't say, husbands, make your wife submit. This is not something that is imposed. It must be a voluntary, free will choice of the woman to offer her submission. It cannot be enforced. It cannot be demanded. It can only be offered. And if it goes beyond that, beyond being, if it's being when it's demanded, it has lost its force. It is not according to what God has established. Uh, and but we'll get to, we'll beat up on the husbands in a moment here, so to speak. And here there, there's a focus here on the wives. Um, and it becomes very challenging at times if the husband is not fulfilling responsibility. But that does not give the wife the responsibility of taking over. Um, Women are to submit to the decisions of their husbands unless they contradict God's will, when we obey God rather than man in Acts 5 and verse 29. Now, men should make it easier for the wife to submit and respect the difficulty of submission. The problem is a lot of men look at authority like this and make it like a power trip, but it's not what that's about. It's about responsibility. Immature men don't understand this. It's the mature ones that do. That it's a responsibility that must be handled appropriately, and that it is in their best interest to create an environment where a wife would want to be in a position of submitting to her husband, as opposed to having to do it begrudgingly. And that is what God intends from this passage, as it is with the church and Christ. Then Paul shifts in verse 25 to the husband's. He says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. A lot of ways, that's a awesome obligation. Because you think about it, what did Jesus do? He, died, he loved the church by giving himself up for her, and died for her. And this is the kind of love that we can see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that, that love is patient and kind, does not take... Uh, it, it, 
let's let's look at that passage. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, beginning in verse four. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. You put out love, take Jesus, put Jesus in there, and Jesus is all of those things. And we are, as husbands, to be all these things toward our wives. And can any of us say that we do those things for our wives? And therefore, we can definitely see where we can improve and as it is with the wife, so is the husband. Uh, maybe the wife is not doing what he, she's supposed to be doing. That does not mean the man somehow is exempt from loving his wife. Maybe his wife is derogatory and insulting and, 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 and all these other terrible things. Well, we can think of Jesus on the cross and all the insults and challenge, pain he endured. He was supposed to endure it. He was not supposed to return back. He did not, re- he did not return back. He loved. He suffered the loss. He went through great pain in suffering that loss. And that might be sometimes what a husband is called to do. Likewise, in verse 28, husbands, in the same way, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his uh, wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And this is where Paul's playing on the idea of the church is Christ's body. That, that, that Jesus is the head and we are his body. And going back to the the marriage relationship, that when the two become one flesh, it is as if the wife's body is the husband's body, and the husband here is is somebody who's going to take care of himself. Now it's very easy to take this and, and to try to find the exceptions of people who hurt themselves, but those are the exceptions to the rule for a reason. Most people take good care of themselves, and they want themselves to look good. They take care of themselves. They they make sure that they take care of their body. They don't beat themselves up, literally. Uh, they don't hurt themselves. And and so that's the disposition a man is to have toward his wife. Just as he would take care of his own flesh and nourish it and cherish it, he's supposed to do that toward his wife and her flesh and her soul and her body. And he would not do anything to hurt the body. And so therefore, spousal abuse, if it's physical, emotional, mental, sexual, spiritual, it should never even enter the mind of the husband. And we can ask the husband a pointed question. Do you, would you want Christ to treat you in the same way that you treat your wife? We're not supposed to harm our wives in any way. Instead, we are to do everything to nourish and cherish and care for her bodies and needs as we do our own. Uh, recognizing that, if, that, that she might well decide that she's going to put other people's needs before her own. And that's good and beautiful, but it means that you need to make sure that her you put her needs above your own and to, to make sure that she's being taken care of uh, in the things that she needs. And so Paul then continues on with his concluding comments about this in verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So, Paul goes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, just as Jesus did in Matthew 19, 4 and 5, to show that it was from the beginning God's intention for one man and one woman to be married for life. And that we can understand more about marriage from God's original intent. 
um, he will go on in this passage to say that it is a mystery for any Christ in the church. We can talk more about that at another time. Uh, and that is certainly true, but that doesn't diminish the fact that it was the, the passage that everybody went to to talk about the original intention of marriage. That God expects the man and therefore the woman as well to leave father and mother and to cling to one another. And that's also an important aspect of the marriage relationship, is that it is its own relationship. That parents may be needed to help provide various forms of assistance in life. And there are times where children may fall in bad times, and every every couple needs support in terms of uh, somebody to talk to at times. Uh, when there are children involved, somebody to watch the children, and so on and so forth, so that work on the marriage can be done. But once a marriage has begun, there ought to be a definite separation between child and parent. Uh, a man's first responsibility in, when he's married after God is to take care of his wife, not to his parents. It's not that parents are to be completely neglected, but they're no longer that high priority that they once were. And two king, cling to one another and become one flesh. Uh, two becoming one flesh refers to sexual relationship, as we can see in 1 Corinthians 6, 16. Um, we're talking about the terms of prostitute. But one flesh follows clinging to one another. And that is uh, the reason why there is this insistence in the Bible that fornication is not a good idea and that it's wrong. Because the marriage relationship must have mental and emotional bonds before the sexual one in order to be the marriage that God intends. And that the marriage, that, that the sexual behavior is in an illicit relationship where there does not need to be shame, there does not need to be apprehension, fear, or anything of that sort. But in... in as we said, Paul is really trying to, to make a spiritual application here. We're just pulling out the original message as and as seen by Jesus. But he comes back and, and at the end says, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, and, and this is a profoundly important verse, because Paul is summarizing what he has said before, and what will be said in other places. How should a marriage relationship work? A man must love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. And this is a very important observation. Because wives intuitively love more than respect, and men intuitively respect more than love. Because men live in a respect-dominated world, and women live in a love-dominated world. And those two often do not communicate well. Men try to communicate in ways of the respect culture to women, and women communicate to men in the ways of the love culture of women. And those don't really work very well. And so this is why Peter will have to say that men are to live in an understanding way with their wives. The What women want and the way women think is not the same as necessarily what men want and the way men think. And obviously there are always some exceptions to, uh, to all these types of rules in various circumstances. Yet, under further observation, that tends to, the, the rule tends to reinforce itself. Uh, we can, men cannot serve our wives by just doing what we would want to do any more than wives can, than, can be of benefit to their husbands by just doing what the wives would imagine that they would want to do. And that's not to be. Um, it's very easy for a wife to disrespect a husband through speaking evil of him or nagging him. Uh, these are the types of things condemned in the Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 4, 19, 13, 21, 9, 25, 24, and 27, 15, among others. And that should not be so. That That's not going to help a man do that. Uh, likewise, 
Uh, a man can often act in ways that are quite unloving toward his wife, even though he may not intend them to be so unloving. And, and that's why men and women need to learn how to work with one another. And men need to learn how to speak the language of love and with women. And women need to, to speak the language of respect around men. Especially their husbands. And that will lead to much greater understanding. And will not eliminate conflict, but reduce it. And there's many more things that we could say about that. This, therefore, is Paul's counsel for husbands and wives. And so we can see how Ephesians 5, 22-33 relates to husbands and wives. That wives are to respect their husbands and submit to them. And that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, to nourish and cherish them as they do their own bodies. And they are both to leave father and mother and be a unit together. And that is how husbands and wives can strive to be uh, the, the people God would have them to be. And it's so important to note here as we conclude that being married is not something apart from Christ. That we are to find ways of serving Christ in our marriage. And the best way we can serve Christ in our marriage is to reflect Christ and the church in our marriage. That the husband loved the wife as Christ loved the church that the wife submits to her husband as the church submits to Christ. That she respect her husband as we are to fear and adore God. And that the husband love his wife uh, to do the types of things for her that Christ proved willing to do for all of us. And that when we serve one another in marriage, which is what all of this is, in the end it's serving, it's not about power. So many have made this about power. It's not about power, it's about service. Husbands and wives serve each other differently, based upon their different roles and responsibilities. But it is all about service. And we serve one another as Christ would have us serve one another. God in Christ is glorified in that relationship. So it cannot be apart from Christ. It's not like we have our marriage part of our lives and our God part of our lives. No, the God part of our lives must saturate our marriage part of our lives. And that's the only way it's going to work, because there are going to be days where a wife is not going to want to respect her husband, and a husband is not going to want to show love to his wife, where they are going to dwell on past and present hurts and, and all the problems. But in the end, what's got to get them through, what's got to get all of us through, is realizing that we're doing this to serve God. And even if we don't think that husband or wife deserves better treatment, that we realize that, well, we don't deserve the treatment God gave us, but God showed us mercy. And that if God showed us mercy, we should show mercy to one another. Where a relationship should show the kind of grace that God has shown us. And that the marriage relationship is not going to be exempt. And do any of us want to stand the judgment day and have to hear, that in every other respect perhaps, that we treat everybody else with proper love and respect, but we did not show that in our marriage relationship. And that we took our husband and our wife, or husband or wife, excuse me, for granted. Uh, and wife for granted and we treated them poorly and we did not reflect Christ in our relationship and that causes us to be cast into eternal hellfire. I don't think any of us wants to, to find that situation. And that's why we need to take what Paul says seriously uh, and, and find ways of serving God in our marriage and being willing to show grace and love and mercy and respect in our marriages. Which is not easy to do. 
but that's to what things that God has called us to do in Christ. We hope that you found this, this lesson beneficial. And if you have any further questions about husbands and wives, how they are to treat one another, what Paul, what Paul and Peter and others have to say about it, or maybe you'd like to talk about other situations, maybe went through some difficulties, maybe have some prayer requests. If we can be of any service in any way, please let me know by contacting me through my website at deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you live in Los Angeles or you're traveling in Los Angeles area, we encourage you to, to check out, check us out. Learn more about us online at VenetureToChrist.org. We're also on Facebook, Google+, Instagram, Meetup, and Twitter. Mostly Adventist Church. We again thank you, and have a great day.